Well, good morning. So glad that you're here and really looking forward to sharing my heart with you this morning as we call this Vision Preview Sunday. Go ahead and take out your worship guide and uh, follow along with the notes today. That song was really encouraging to me. Those lyrics, very powerful. Whenever you get overwhelmed, turn to Christ. He'll help you through those storms. It's the oceans of his unfailing love that sees us through the oceans of our trials and suffering. I'm so thankful for a brave-hearted gospel and the truth of Christianity, which tells me that even in the midst of my pain and my sorrow and my suffering that I deal with, that the story of Christianity tells of a God who was not deaf, distant, nor indifferent to that plight. But because of the incarnation, because of Christmas, Jesus stepped down into human history and would go through 33 years of existence and then suffer. And so sometimes as we go throughout life, we are confronted with a world that cries out, if there is a God, why is there so much pain and suffering? And we can't answer the why fully for anyone here this morning. But what we can say is, is we have a, a truth, the true story of all stories, that says that God entered into our suffering. At least we have a God that did not stay upon Mount Olympus, high and indifferent to our plight but that he stepped down into human history. And so the story of Christianity is the true and living story, and it's still changing lives today. Well, today I just want to give you a little preview of where we're going to be heading in the new year and the process of what God has been working in my heart. Uh, I kind of pulled an audible this week. We we're going to preach another Christmas season-type sermon but today I really want to give to you a preview of where we're heading in the new year in this series that we're going to be beginning on January the 6th, 2019. Go ahead and turn in your Bibles to two locations. First of all, 2 Corinthians chapter number 3, which is right there on the screen. We'll be looking at that verse this morning. 2 Corinthians chapter number 3. And then also place a bookmark in Psalm 23. 2 Corinthians 3 and Psalm 23. So I want to share with you this process of what God has been working in my heart. Um, I've been your pastor now for almost eight years. Yesterday, we remembered eight years ago what our church went through and the fire that we had over at our old location. And just a few months after that fire, on January the 30th of 2011, the church would call me to be the 21st pastor of the church in the history of the church. I believe I was the youngest pastor to ever start his tenure here. And who knows, maybe I'll be the longest, but I've got a long way to beat Brother Covell Keenum. He was a pastor here for 38 years, so I've still got 30 years to match his record. But we came in 2009, and there's a picture of us just a couple weeks ago in front of the old bank building, 2018. We've changed a little bit. Our kids have grown. Uh... I hope I've not grown. I hope I've shrunk a little bit. But uh, isn't it funny to look back on your life and to just see how fast time goes, but yet at the same time, um, at certain times it doesn't seem to go that fast, I guess. It's just funny how time works. But on January the 30th of 2011, the church did call us to be their 21st pastor in their history. The church was started in 1902 and um, been in existence now for 116 years. These, these eight years have been incredible. I've learned a lot about myself, and I've learned that I've changed. How many of you realize I've changed in eight years? Yeah, I've changed physically. I've changed emotionally. Hopefully, I've changed educationally. I've grown a little bit wiser. I've learned a little bit more. I've grown relationally. I, all of us can say these things. We've grown physically. We've grown uh, emotionally, we've grown educationally, we've grown relationally. Isn't it funny how relationships change over the years? How relationships, some relationships remain and they deepen and they strengthen. Then some relationships fade away over the years. I can say in eight years that's been the case. There's been some relationships that have not only remained, but they've deepened and they've strengthened. 
Then there's some relationships that have faded. And then, and then there's some wonderful new relationships in eight years. I've had the incredible chance to meet a good majority of you who have come into our church since eight years ago. And so I've changed in so many ways. And, and um, when we're in God's Word and we allow the message of the gospel to take root by faith, we can't help but start to change. And that change is ongoing in our lives. And really the simple goal here at Fairview is that we would allow this spiritual transformation to continue to be rooted in our hearts and in the lives of others. I've learned many lessons as a pastor in eight years, but there's one lesson that I've learned in those eight years. Um, You know, sometimes I'm not the brightest bulb in the strand of Christmas lights, if you get what I'm saying. Sometimes I have to my wife has to tell me things two or three times before I get it. I'm sure none of you husbands have the same struggle, but, but, uh, but for me, that's the way it is. But I am a quick study of people, I think. And in the 15 years that I've been involved in ministry, both up in Indiana as a youth pastor and now for the last eight years as your uh, senior pastor, your lead pastor, I've become a quick study of people. And I've realized one simple truth. I can't change anybody. Maybe that's the one thing you need to get this morning from the sermon before we even get into it. We can't change anybody. In fact, the harder we try to change people, the more we seem to fail at it. If you're a spouse here this morning and you're married, you would know that uh, the harder you try to change your spouse, does that work out? Does that really work out? I mean, we've learned this in marriage. It seems like the harder we try to change our spouse, the bigger we fail. In parenting, man, this is so humbling you know, you had those little bundles of joy, and you, and you said, ah, oh, you know, I'm going to make sure you do this, 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 and this, and then you find out they become teenagers, and they've got a free will. And, and, and in parenting, you learn the harder you try to make them change, the more they seem to resist it. And so we've learned this in marriage. We've learned this in parenting. And if we're honest, we can't even change ourselves. Come on. Be, I mean, let's just be honest. The harder we try to change some of those stubborn habits that we hate, seems like the harder we fail, the bigger we fail. And so the reality is, is if we don't do the changing, or maybe the question is, is if we don't do the changing, then who does the changing? Well, that's what this verse and really this whole passage we're going to be studying and digging into in January is going to help us understand and help us to truly change. How many of you are tired of just superficial change? How many of you want to see lasting transformation? I know I do. My heart, my burden is that we would see lasting gospel transformation in our church family. This verse says, but we all with open face, beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord, are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. Paul here in this passage is really, uh, and, and as we're going to study in January, is really laying out the ministry of the new covenant, the New Testament. And he's actually comparing and contrasting the great uh, glory that Moses shared in in, in how he went up to Mount Sinai, and while he was spending time with God, he didn't realize it, but his face began to glow. And when he came off that mountain, uh, his face was glowing, but he put a veil upon himself because that glory would be fading. But Paul says that the new covenant is different in the, in the fact that the glory doesn't fade, but the glory is ever-increasing. And it's ever-growing. And there's this transformation that starts on the inside of us. And if it's true transformation, it can't help but move its way to the outside of our lives to where people can tell we've been with Jesus too. In an ever-increasing and beautiful way. And so if I don't do the changing, who is it that does the changing here in this verse? It's the Spirit of the Lord. It's Jesus. It's God that changes us. And so if that's the case, as your pastor, here's my heartbeat. My calling is to be a leader that seeks to build and cultivate, cultivate the environments where true and lasting change can kind of take place, but I can't do the changing. All I can do is try to manage the environments 
where God does that changing. If you're here this morning and you've ever tried to change anyone or to change yourself and you're honest enough with me this morning to say, we can't do it, we can't change us, then the reality is only God can change us. How do we allow him to do that change in and through us? And that's really what we're going to be seeking to dig into because of Uh, Because really, if we're honest, here as a church family, um, and as we look at the Great Commission, as we look at the call to make disciples, are we doing that? It's easy for us to become comfortable and just to say, well, you know, I'll keep trying to change me, I'll keep trying to change others, but we're not really making disciples. And so my calling as your pastor is to be this leader that that tries to build and cultivate the right environments where God can do the change. In fact, he gives this charge to pastors in the Word. He says in 1 Peter 5, verses 2 through 4, feed the flock of God. He's saying this to pastors. and, And he says, pastors, your calling is to feed the flock of God. My great desire is to feed to you the Word of God. And it's so encouraging when you share with me how Uh, The Word of God has been uh, speaking to you as I've been able to preach that to you. And praise the Lord for that. And so feed the flock of God which is among you, taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint but willingly, not for filthy lucre. Hey, pastors aren't in this to get rich quick. Did you hear the story about the pastor that bought the Lamborghini for his wife this week? Don't worry, honey, that's not going to happen. Anyway, you know, I mean, mean, uh, and that's sad when you see that there's a certain stream of Christianity that seems to be all about the money. It seems to all be about the mega millions and, and the focus is there. But no, the Bible says here, this is not what we're in this for. We're not in this to build our own little kingdom of riches here on this earth. We're to build up God's kingdom. We're to see the increase of his kingdom. And so but being of a ready mind, neither as being lords over God's heritage, but being in samples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd shall appear, you shall receive a crown of glory that fades not away. You see, my calling is simply to be the under-shepherd. I'm not the chief shepherd. And my goal as under-shepherd is to feed you and then point you to the chief shepherd because he's the good shepherd that laid down his life for the sheep. Look over at Psalm 23 with me just for a moment, will you? Psalm 23. In this, in this context and in this thinking through of, 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 of having environments where change can take place. You see, my goal, I can't change you. I can't even change me. All I can pray is, God, allow me to, have, to be a leader that brings people to the chief shepherd who can change them, who can transform them by your grace, through the spirit of the Lord, through your truth. Because it's truth that transforms. It's truth that sets free. And look over at Psalm 23. I love this psalm because it's really pointing to Jesus, who is the good shepherd. And the psalmist starts out and he says, The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Basically, the psalmist is saying, Because God is my shepherd, I have absolute need of nothing in life. I'm satisfied. That's what that means. That old English can be a little confusing. That's what that means. Keep reading. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. Do you know, I hope that church is a place where you experience green pastures and still waters. Keep reading. It says, he restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. If there's one place every week where you should be getting refreshed and restored, it's this environment called the local church where your under-shepherd, as best as he humanly can, is pointing you to the chief shepherd in whom is absolute need of nothing else. He satisfies completely. He leads me into green pastures. He leads me to the side of the still waters. You see, these are environments where change can happen. These are environments where sheep can be fed, where sheep can find rest and, and restoration. And this is what the church should look like. Verse 4, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. The church is to be there in the hard times for one another as well. Even when we're walking through the valley of the shadow of death, in those dark times, even death itself, we don't have to fear any evil. Why? Because we've learned that in the presence of our good shepherd, that he is with us. His rod And his staff, they are comforting and they are guiding. And it says here that he prepares a table before us 
in the presence of our enemies. God has prepared a table, and we're invited to sit down and eat at that table. To sit down and eat at that table with him. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I love that verse because what, what, what this environment should be like here at church, it should be a foretaste, a sampling of what's, what it's going to be like to be with the chief shepherd one day. And so that, that passage, along with 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 2 and 3, really gives to me my calling, and that is, to, as your under-shepherd, to feed you, to feed the flock, to protect you, and to cultivate environments and a direction that will take all of us as his flock, ultimately, to Christ, the chief shepherd. If we can't do that, then we're failing in our responsibility and our calling. So we don't do the changing. We can't change anyone. All we can do is have environments where people can be invited to see the chief shepherd. Does that make sense? Because let me tell you this. If you try to change people, it's not going to work. It might work in the short term. You might get a little conformity. We're going to talk about in our first message uh, on January the 6th the, the difference between conformity and transformation. And so many times we settle for conformity, outward change, but there's been no true transformation of the heart. And so as we think about this verse, 2 Corinthians 3.18, and we acknowledge that it's the Spirit of the Lord that changes us, and as we acknowledge that we don't do the changing, but all we can do, ultimately all I can do is your pastor, and all we can do as servants and a team together is hopefully establish environments where People can be invited into the fold to behold the chief shepherd. They can experience green pastures, still waters, restoration of their souls, even encouragement through the darkest times of their life. I mean, I don't know about you, but as I read Psalm 23, I find that very appealing. I need that. How many of you need that? Raise your hand. How many of you need green pastures? How many of you need some still waters in your life? How many of you need the hope that even when you're going through the valley of the shadow? Death is only a shadow of its former self in the chief shepherd who has risen from the dead and defeated death. You see, Jesus changes everything. He changes us at the moment of our new birth when we get that new heart and we're born again in him. And then he continues that work. It's an ongoing, ever-increasing in glory. We're ever-glowing more and more. We're ever-looking more and more like Jesus because he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it till the day of Jesus Christ. I know it sometimes doesn't feel that way. It doesn't feel like you're, you're, you're getting there, but God is continually working in all things to conform you to the image of his son. And so with this idea of change and transformation, I want to give to you just three thoughts, and they're there in your notes, and, and we're really going to uh, just share some thoughts in, in each one of these, and specifically in point two, the process of change. So go ahead and write these down. Number one, we're going to look at the challenge with change. Number two, the process, and that's really going to start to show you where we're going in January, and then the goal with change. And I think we already know that the goal with change is Christ-likeness. But as we look and work backwards with the goal of change, understanding that the goal of change is that we become more like Christ, looking back, we see the challenge with change and the process of change. What is the challenge with change? I think the challenge many times with with changes in our life is, in one sense, we can all look back on our lives and say, wow, God did that. For instance, eight years ago, we can look back in our church's history and say, wow, look at the change that God did in taking a tragedy like the fire that we had as, as a church and then changing our physical location, bringing us out here, planting us here, and God did that. Amen? God did that. Let me ask you a question. Is God done working? What if God wants to do greater things in the next eight years than he's already done? How do we steward the gifts and the work that God has already done and blessed us with? See, I think in one sense, we have a question that looks backward, and we say, okay, yes, how do we rightly celebrate what God has done? 
the changes that God has wrought. How do we rightly celebrate that? But the danger with celebration is this. You know that the danger with celebration of the past is you begin to idolize the past. I grew up in ministries that this was them. And how I knew it is, is because every time I would walk into these churches, they would be talking about what happened 20 years ago. The good old days. And I'm sure that the good old days were great, but the danger of always celebrating the past is celebration turns to idolization. And somehow, what started as a good thing, celebrating what God did in the past, becomes a rut where we idolize and monumentalize the past. Now, I want to stop and say something. I, I have an apology to make to you as a church family. I think sometimes if pastors have vision, they can come into a church and they can almost prevent vi present vision as if the church never did anything good and right for the hundred years that they were there before him. <laughs> you know, a couple of weeks ago, I was up in Connecticut and the Holy Spirit spoke to my heart and, and I just realized, you know, this is a blind spot, I think, for me because I'm always looking forward I'm always looking forward at the future of what God's going to do, what, what can he do. And sometimes if you're not careful and if you're like this and if you're a visionary like this and you're always looking forward, sometimes you can give the impression to people, and I know I've done this, and I want to ask for your forgiveness. I know Jesus has already forgiven me 2,000 years ago, but I want to ask for your forgiveness for presenting vision in a way that it almost made it look like any pastor or any church member or, or, or anything that happened in the past was invalid. No. The very fact that we can be here today is because there was a legacy of faith built and men and women of God preached and taught the word for over a hundred years at Fairview Baptist Church. Amen? And you know what? Sometimes if you're always looking forward, you don't celebrate. And so there's dangers on both ends of the spectrum. For some people who are always looking ahead, they almost denigrate and disavow anything that happened in the past. No, the very reason we're here is because of faithful people who lived and preached the gospel for over 100 years. And I want to thank you for the investment that you've made. And I want to thank you for how you allowed God to change you 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years ago. And so there's this challenge with change because God is changing and, 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 he, and we see these changes in the past and so we celebrate that, but the danger is, is we can begin, begin to idolize it. But then there's a question that looks forward and that's the question of how do we rightly steward what God has done and still desires to do? So for some, we, we're like looking back and saying, okay, God, you did this wonderful change. Great. And we celebrate it. For others, we kind of stick just to this question of, okay, God, what do you want to do? How do we steward the change you've already given us to see more transformation, more change? So this is the struggle, and those are the two questions. As we look at this challenge with change, according to the verse that we just read this morning in 2 Corinthians 3, it is God's Spirit that does the changing and the transforming. And this change starts with a new heart given to us at the new birth. What's the point I'm trying to make? Simply this. While a church might be growing older in its history, it is to always be growing newer through the transforming power of the gospel. And so there's this challenge with change. And so there's different ways that people look at that. For some, for some of us, that word is scary to us. For others, that word is exciting to us. And we just have to wrestle through that and realize that if it's the Lord doing the changing, it's the Lord Jesus that is doing the work and transforming us, then that's the change that we all want. And so that's the challenge with change. Number two, and this is where we're going to dig in for a few minutes, the process of change. As we read 2 Corinthians 3, we don't get a lot of um, insight into the nitty-gritty or the details of the process of transformation, but we do get this. Look at the verse there again, 2 Corinthians 3, verse uh, 18. But we all with open face, beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord, are changed into the same image. That word changed is the Greek verb metamorpheo. Hmm, that sounds interesting. That sounds familiar, doesn't it? <laughs> That's where, from which we get the English word metamorphosis. And so the kind of change that God is talking about is an internal change 
that works its way to the outside, a complete change of nature, a complete transformation of being into the same image from glory to glory. And so as we think about the process of change, and I was meditating on this passage, there's there's really two philosophical approaches that people come at change with. Two primary ways that people approach the change process. For instance, if we see something in our lives that needs to change, there's two ways that typically people try to approach it. And I want to talk about those two philosophical approaches because when you look at church ministry today, you can really put churches into one of these two categories. And so, two philosophical approaches to change. Number one, the machine shop approach. The machine shop approach. If you've ever been to a machine shop, what is a machine shop's goal? Let's say that it's a, uh, a machine shop making forks. Fork, you know, that, that, that you eat with. What's the goal of a machine shop? Their goal is to produce the same exact fork, and they have an assembly line process. They've got a sheet of metal, and they've got a die, and they're going to conform and press and cut those forks with exacting precision. And, and so the whole goal is that every fork would look the same. A machine shop is most of the time cold, uninviting, uh, very industrial, um, loud sounds, you know, and, and, and the whole goal is make forks that look exactly the same. And for some people, when they read this verse, they come away and they assume that, okay, God's changing process is the machine shop approach. And so we're going to punch out these forks out of this metal, and we're all going to look exactly the same. The idea of the machine shop approach is conformity, outside in, stamp. But the second approach is this. The second approach is what we call the greenhouse approach. And you've heard me allude to this before. The greenhouse approach. What's the difference between a greenhouse and a machine shop? Well, a a greenhouse typically is warm. It's inviting. It's it's got sunlight. It's teeming with growth. It's well watered. But sometimes a greenhouse can be messy. Just the reality Sometimes plants grow a lot faster than other plants. Sometimes the uh, greenhouse keeper has to watch out for pests that might somehow get in, or, or, or even, even in a greenhouse, watch out for weeds. Isn't that amazing how weeds just seem to go everywhere? <laughs> and so you have two different approaches here, two philosophical approaches to change. One is focused on punching out these forms where everybody or every fork looks the same, and one is a greenhouse approach. One is unnatural in the sense that those forks would not become forks unless there was outward pressure producing the fork. The other is inward in the sense that if you plant the seed in the right conditions, it's going to grow. Which kind of change do you think is the right philosophical approach. Ultimately, well, we get the idea from the Greek word in 2 Corinthians 3, metamorpheo. The idea of transformational growth, the greenhouse approach. The approach where we're planted and then we flourish. Psalm 92, 13, those that be planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish. In the courts of our God. When was the last time that you in your spiritual life, you sensed that you were actually flourishing? And if we're not flourishing, then the question is, ultimately, where should we be looking? We should be looking to where are we being planted? Where's our rooting? Where's our foundationing coming from? Therefore, as ye have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him, rooted and built up in him. You see, Jesus is the one that does the changing. We can't change. Our calling as a church is not to try to produce change like a machine shop. 
our goal as a church is to see Jesus do the change by being a greenhouse, managing the environments, making sure that the pests don't get in and destroy and hurt growth and stunt growth, making sure that the right conditions are there so that growth can happen. Because you know what happens? Living things can't help but grow. And when they have the right foundation, when they have the right environments, when we're cultivating the ground as God would want us to, He's going to bless with flourishing, with growth. And so we cannot produce growth. We can't approach change as a machine shop. But sometimes we come across, and that's how we think that's what disciple-making is. But it's not. Making disciples, seeing lasting transformation in people's lives, is always through letting the Lord do the changing and so, our, and so our calling here is we can't produce the growth. All that we can do is cultivate growth and anchor it upon that trellis as those vines grow. My calling as your pastor is to cultivate environments where true spiritual growth and transformation can happen. My goal ultimately is for me, the under-shepherd, to get out of the way so that Jesus, the chief shepherd, can do the work that only he can do. But all too often, we as churches, we struggle. We get in our own way of seeking to control somehow this change process in people's lives rather than simply cultivating the environment where the process will continue and will happen. I, I have to share a personal illustration with you, a story that I heard a couple of weeks ago of a guy who got saved, and he was a tattoo artist. He owned a tattoo parlor. His name is David. And about three years ago, he came to know Jesus as his Savior up in Connecticut. Carrie shared this wonderful story about David. And after David got saved, his life was, I mean, in a sense, it was completely new. I mean, he had, he had just trusted Christ. He had been born again. But uh, David was still the owner of a tattoo parlor. And Carrie, of course, I can't tell the stories like Carrie does. He's a different uh, voice than me. But, but Carrie shares the story of how he was tempted in his heart to immediately go into this long lecture on why David should give up his tattoo parlor and, and seek a better profession, et cetera, et cetera. And Carrie shares a story that over the span, catch this church, two years Two years, David was growing, and it was so cool because David got baptized just a few weeks after he got saved. And do you know what he did with his baptism photo? He framed it, and he put it right in the middle of his tattoo parlor. And everyone that came in to David's tattoo parlor, David would, would, would show them his baptism photo. And so David was already changing, as you can see. But, but Carrie shares the story of how he was tempted to step in and, and, and tell David, well, you got to do this, you better do this. But, but, but every time, the Spirit wouldn't give him liberty to do it. But for two years, Carrie developed a relationship with David. And Carrie was confident that the Spirit of God would, would do the work in his time, in his way. All Carrie's calling was to do was to manage the greenhouse. You know what happened after two years? David came to him really concerned and said, Pastor, I need you to pray for me. I just don't know if I can, I just don't know if I can do this anymore. Do what? I just don't know if I can own a tattoo parlor anymore. Carrie said, you know what, David? I thought that probably somewhere down the road you would come to that decision. I, you know, um, because I know how God's spirit works in, in people's lives. And it wasn't that necessarily the art was bad. In fact, well, some of it was. You know, David was like, yeah, pastor, I'm being, I'm being uh, asked to draw these things on people that, as a believer, I just don't agree with. Now, if it's just mom, okay, I'm cool with that. But, you know, he, he was like, I'm just putting these tough situations and in different, you know, and of course, body and all that stuff. And that gets very awkward. But you know what? David had this desire. He was an artist. Do you know what God did? God allowed David to sell his business, to get out of that um, business, because it did put him in difficult situations where he wasn't just tattooing mom or a Bible verse on somebody's arm. It was a lot more questionable. And so God allowed David to get away from that. And here's what's so amazing about that story. David has the gift of art. He's an amazing artist. Do you know what David is able to do? He was able to help the church paint beautiful murals down the entire kid's wing of the church building. And he loved it. He was on fire doing it. 
that's what I'm trying to get across is that, you know, Carrie could have led David to the Lord and, and then felt pressure maybe from the fear of man. You know, oh, what if other pastors find out that I was able to lead a tattoo parlor artist to Jesus and now they think that I'm okay with, you know, him still owning it. And, and, and he could have been, you know, what I found, hmm, you know what I found is that many of the rules of man-made religion are birthed out of a fear of the loss of control or the fear of what others will think if you associate with that person or with that crowd. And if you think about it, if you know your Bible, Galatians 2, that's exactly what Peter did. Peter was afraid of what the Jews would think if he was hanging out with the Gentiles, and so he created a rule for himself. He said, I'm not going to eat with him. And of course, Peter created division the there. Have we ever considered that perhaps most of our conflict in life with others stems from this fear of man that's rooted in pride and it's approaching the change of a Christian life and disciple making from the wrong approach, and that is the machine shop, the conformity approach. You see, God tells us, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The, the lasting transformation starts internally and works its way outside. Did that take time in David's life? It did, but it happened. I think what happens is, is we're afraid to let that happen. But, but the Holy Spirit's a much better change agent than you or I. We can't even change ourselves. The only person that changes us ultimately is Jesus. And so there's two primary philosophical approaches to change. There's many methodological approaches. There's, there's really just two ways to try to create change in people's life. You can either try to go from the outside in, conformity, machine shop approach, or you can go from the inside out, the greenhouse approach, the metamorphosis approach. So there's really only two ways. But, but then within methods, man, there's a ton of different ways to approach change. What do I mean? Not every ministry model is good for every church at every time and every culture. And not every model remains the best and healthiest model through the growth of that church. The key question that should be asked regularly is, how are our ministry methods and programs serving to fulfill the mission of the church? And I see it's not only me that's hot in this room, right? Are some of y'all like really hot? Can we like turn some air on, guys, uh, or turn the heat off? I'm not sure. It just, I can see a lot of people. I'm always thinking it's just me. But I'm seeing a lot of people with their... Uh, fan, so appreciate you doing that. We won't be too much longer, but listen closely. There's many methods. What do I mean by this? I was just talking to James and Amy Greenwood, our missionaries to Argentina, and they are seeing God change people's lives in Argentina. It's incredible to see the disciple-making process, and that's our mission. We've been called to make disciples, but, but do you realize that they don't do ministry the same exact way that we do here in Decatur, Alabama? Do you realize that they don't have certain things in their weekly schedule that we might still have? So it was interesting talking to them about how they put together their weekly schedule, how they shape their ministry methods to fulfill the mission of making disciples. Uh, had a chance to talk to Buddy Fitzgerald about a month later. It was neat how God brought through two of our wonderful missionaries who have really seen God uh, work this burden of disciple-making in their churches. And I talked to Buddy, and, and again, in the jungles of Peru, there's different methods that Buddy is employing to make disciples. Do you realize that making disciples up in Newington, Connecticut, they're going to employ some different methods than how we do that in Decatur, Alabama? Do you realize that there's ministry methods over in California? You know, California. They employ different methods. Do you realize that there's people in Minnesota or Michigan that employ perhaps different methods than we would and, and different programs in their weekly life of their church what, to make disciples? So there's many methodological approaches. The question that we need to ask as a church family going forward into the month of January and in these upcoming years is this. What does a process, just disregard that loud squeal, what does a process of spiritual transformation look like? What does disciple-making look like for us as a church family? 
And what we have laid out is a methodological approach to our spiritual transformation at Fairview. And they're here on these banners, and this is what we're going to be unpacking in the weeks ahead. But God has called every person to receive his grace. Ultimately, that starts with receiving his grace in salvation. But do you realize that not only do we receive his grace and salvation, but we receive the daily benefits of his grace as he teaches us, as he instructs us. Every week we come to obviously give him worship, but, but we realize we are needy individuals. We, we are in daily need of reminders of his truth and of his grace. And so God, uh, for us, as we have talked about this ministry method and this process, and how do we make disciples, and really that's the key, in fact, I'm going to skip ahead just for a moment because the mission statement is, is this. I'm going to really skip ahead. There's our mission statement. Our mission statement is to make more and better disciples of Jesus through the power of his saving and transforming grace. And so God calls us then. He calls us to receive his grace. Then once we are receivers and we've received his grace and salvation, then he wants us to take that grace and he wants us to grow. He wants us to grow. And how do we grow we grow by really taking that next step in the discipleship process and connecting in relationships here in our church in a growth group, in learning more. We are growing relationally. We are growing educationally. We are growing applicationally. We are growing uh, by literally multiplying, seeing more groups birthed. And so we're called to receive his grace, then we're called to grow in that grace, and then we're called to serve by grace. And so as Pastor Don and myself and other leaders, and we're going to be talking more in depth with many of our leaders in the days and weeks to follow, one of the things that we were asking ourselves is, is how are we helping people to go from one step to the next step? Because many of us, if you're here this morning, which raise your hand if you're here, yeah, you're here and you're in this receive environment where our focus on the Sunday morning worship time is to preach the word, share the gospel, remind ourselves of the gospel, receive God's grace, worship him because he is gracious. He has given to us his son, Jesus. Here at that step. But the second step is then where do we go from Sunday morning only Christianity? How do we take that next step of commitment in our growth in that process of change? And that's where growth groups come into place. And can I just say this? We have not been hitting the mark on growth groups effectively, but that's going to change by God's grace. And we're adding a growth group on Wednesday night. We've been adding a, a ladies' Bible study. And we're talking about how we can add more opportunities, both long-term commitments and also short-term. Uh, how many of you would be honest enough to say, Pastor, I'm afraid to get a part of a growth group because I'm afraid that if I get in there in like in 10 to 12 weeks, I would like to go somewhere else. And I'm kind of afraid because I don't want people to think that I'm like rejecting them by leaving their group. And so sometimes I'm afraid to kind of connect with a group. Is anyone like that? They're like, I'm kind of awkward if I leave a group. And then people are like, what happened to you? We're just going to start changing that expectation with our leaders. Leaders, you don't need to feel bad if someone comes to your group for 10 or 12 weeks and they go to other. But what we're going to do is we're going to create 10 to 12. Uh, we're we're, we're going to create 10-week growth group sessions. And so we're going to have topics. We're going to encourage you to connect with those because ultimately the goal of church is not just to come here and sit in a row on a Sunday morning worship service. And, and the only interaction you have is shaking hands real quick during the guest greeting time. The greatest goal is to build relationships with your brothers and sisters in Christ. To have them teach you and you teach them. To then have one-on-one -on -one discipling, mentoring relationships. It, it encourages my heart when I see individuals pouring into other individuals' lives. When I see growth group leaders taking their growth group ownership and saying, you know, I'm going to invest in these people. I'm going to pray for them. I'm going to be there for them. I'm going to get meals together for them when they're going through that valley and, and they need that encouragement. And what we want is genuine, real growth, flourishing, and then serving. See, the, the process of disciple-making is that we first receive, and then we grow. And that's what Jesus did with those 12 men. He invited them to receive his invitation of salvation and to follow them. And then they grew. They were educated by Jesus. He traveled with them. He lodged with them. And then he invited them into serving with him. Do you see the process of discipleship there? And so God doesn't call you just to receive and grow and just take all this in 
and be a sponge. No, he wants you to be a conduit. He wants you to serve in what he's given to you. And so our third step in our disciple-making process is that you would be a part of a service team here. In fact, if you'll go by uh, the next step station, we have a card of all the growth group or all the ministry serving teams that you can be a part of. And so what is our prayer? Our prayer is that you as members of our church, and really, we're going to really start to encourage when you join our church, what you're really saying when you join is you're taking a step of commitment to this process. You're saying, okay, pastor, I've received his grace and salvation. I'm going to come every Sunday morning with a heart of expectancy to receive from God as I worship him. I want to receive weekly that need of grace that I have in my life. And then, pastor, I'm committing. I'm going to get a part of a growth group, whether that's on a short-term commitment with these 10-week topics or whether that's a more longer-term growth group. I'm going to get a part of a growth group. And then, pastor, I'm going to serve in at least one ministry team. You know what's so encouraging is to see new Christians who are already like, Pastor, put me in, coach. I'm ready to go. Candace over here is like ripping and roaring, ready to get involved in the nursery ministry. And Connie Morse is like, hallelujah, we need more nursery workers. And you know what we're going to do? And here's the, one of the big things we're going to be making a change on on Sunday evenings. In January, on Sunday evenings, we're going to be really changing our focus in investing in ministry training and development for these serving teams. And for sake of time, I'm not going to get into all the details now. But if you are wanting to serve in any one of these serving teams, we're, you're going to have a monthly meeting where you'll be able to come and be, be updated about what's coming up the next month. You're going to be encouraged in your ministry development, how we grow as leaders. This isn't just going to be great training for you here in the church. If you're a leader in your workplace, this is going to encourage you there too. It's my prayer that God would increase our influence, not only here in our church as we serve, but as we serve in our community. And so this is our methodological approach. And so the question then becomes, okay, with what we're doing throughout the weekly ministries of Fairview and what we're doing in the monthly and yearly calendar planning of Fairview, how does it fulfill these three ministry disciple-making processes? Because here's the thing. I had this epiphany. James Greenwood said this to me, and I'm like, oh, why did I never see that before? You know how that is? You know, you just need someone else to say it to you again. Here's what he said. Discipleship is not a program of the local church. It's the purpose of the local church. I grew up in a culture where, okay, discipleship was this thing you did on Wednesday night with a one-on-one -on -one relationship. That's part of it. But it's not just this nice, neatly little packed curriculum program that you get done with in 12 or 14 weeks. That's not discipleship. Discipling is when through every part of the church it permeates that we are here to make disciples, more and better disciples, more and better disciples who are being transformed by the amazing grace of Jesus. And so these are the environments. We have this receive environment, this growth environment, and this serving environment where we want to steward growth and life change. How do we care for this so that people, so this church will be healthy? Do you know what I want? A healthy church. That's it. That's what we should all want is a healthy church that is transforming people's lives for their good and God's glory. What role do you want to play in this process? What role do you want to play? Do you want to be God's lid to the process? Or do you want to be that person who says, I'm ready to go. I'm ready to go, Pastor. Uh, Pastor, we want to see change. We want to see people being transformed in our church. And so can we take our present opportunity, resources, teams, and steward it differently to be more effective and more fruitful and making more and better disciples of Jesus? That's the question we want to ask regularly in our church. Because the programs and the methods are subservient, they're secondary to the mission. And the mission is simply to make more and better disciples who are being transformed by God's grace. And so what is the goal of change? The goal of change is that we would be transformed by the renewing of our mind. And I love this, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Do you realize that God's will is our transformation? God's will is our growth. 
God gave to the church some apostles and some prophets and evangelists and, and pastors and teachers. Why? For the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. To the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. And so, God has called us to make more and better disciples of Jesus through the power of his saving and transforming grace. That's what he's called us to do. And my question is, is how are we going to do that most effectively as a church? What healthy methodological changes and tweaks do we need to make? Like, for instance, changing our Sunday night focus to where we come on Sunday evenings for these ministry development times where if you're on a serving team, there will be one uh, service a month where you're going to have a specific meeting, but then there's also going to be things planned for you throughout the month that you can be involved in. And so does God want to shape his church in such a way that we bring in more sheep into a sheepfold church? Is that, is that something that God wants to do? Does God want more sheep or less sheep? Okay, good. Just want to make sure. Yeah, God wants more. And so, how does God want to shape Fairview Baptist Church to bring in more sheep into a sheepfold? Then the second question is, does God want to shape his church in such a way that those sheep then flourish? Yes. He wants more sheep, and he wants flourishing sheep. He wants sheep that are growing, growing daily, being transformed. And so my question to us this morning is, what has been your approach? You can go ahead and close your Bible, close your notes. Let me just ask you a couple questions as we close. I'm going to have Rebecca come up. We're going to sing through a couple of verses of By Faith, the fourth and fifth verse of By Faith. What's been your approach to change in your life? Have you been more the machine shop approach? I got to make these people change. How has that worked? How's that worked? Or will you, will you approach change from the greenhouse approach? How have you approached change? Second question, do you have the right biblical philosophy behind the changes that you hope to see? So machine shop, greenhouse, which one are you going to try? Which one are you going to approach your life with? What kind of church do you want to be a part of? Do you want to be a part of a machine shop church or a greenhouse church? I don't know about you, but I want to lead a church that's a spiritual greenhouse. If you're going to have older plants in that greenhouse, you're going to have little saplings in that greenhouse. You're going to have plants that are growing crazy. You're going to have plants that are growing more at a slow and steady rate. You're going to have all different kinds of growth. Hopefully it's good growth. That's where we manage those environments. That's the prayer. The question this morning is, is are we willing to allow by faith the gospel, the gospel change to happen? Kind of like in David's life, the guy that got saved, the tattoo artist. Are we going to allow the spirit to do that transformation and trust that he can do it and just manage the relationships, manage the environment, say, God, do the work. Help us to root people in you so rooted deeply that your spirit transforms them daily by your grace.